how really successful people get ahead is they don't always spend time focusing on what they don't know or what they can't do. They really yeah. focus their time on what they can do and what they're really good at and find a team around them with yep. shared values and purpose, but complementary skill sets. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Vasu Kakarlapudi. Kakarlapudi. Did I get it even close? That's pretty good, Todd. Pretty good. I'm pretty. I'm proud of you. Not not too bad. Why don't you say it to so our listeners get the real, uh, you know, pronunciation? Yeah, Vasu Kakarlapudi. Gosh, I was so close. I just, just kind of butchered a little bit, but you know. Yeah, not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. I've seen, I've heard a lot worse, Todd. <laughs> Love it. So Vasu, a little bit about him. He founded Apta Properties, uh, where his mission is to extend those passive income opportunities to surgeons, physicians, and and uh, others who are looking to create more personal freedom. A little bit about uh, Vasu's, uh, he was born in India, raised in Kansas City, and uh, wanted to become a professional baseball player, but instead uh, became a, uh, a doctor and, and uh, of course, now a, uh, a real estate professional. So, you know, look, a lot more to be said. You did medicine for, for many years. Um, Still do medicine, actually. Still, still do medicine, right? Yeah. Uh, sur surgery, uh, mm -hmm. ear, nose, and throat, a head and neck surgeon. Um, just a lot of, a lot of great stuff, and, and of course, real estate as well. So, with all that said, anyways, I'll. It's boring for me to tell it. So why don't you tell the rest of your story to our listeners? Kind of what you're doing right now, and uh, maybe your journey a little bit, and we'll we'll dive in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on, Todd. Uh, pleasure. Uh, so yeah, the, you know, I uh, my my baseball career was ended short. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, not not by my own uh, volition, but because I couldn't make the high school uh, baseball team. That so happens. That is one of the prerequisites to get into the uh, to get into the pros is you got to play on your high school team. So uh, that was my that was strike one, two, and three. So. Um, yeah, so I went, went to uh, medical school, like a lot of other uh, brown kids who did good in school uh, in the Midwest, uh, went to college medical school in Kansas City, um, and kind of really fell in love with your nose and throat surgery due to kind of the, the delicate nature of surgery and making a significant impact on, uh, on folks of, in the middle part of their career, middle part of their life. Um, so my wife's a dentist, so my wife and I started our careers in Louisville, uh, in southern Indiana, New Albany, Indiana, suburb of Louisville, and kind of quickly realized that, like, you know, we had more zeros behind our paychecks, but didn't have a lot of freedom and kind of looked around and saw the people that were practicing medicine who really enjoyed it um, were the ones that had passive income from other sources so that they could kind of work towards, uh, you know, work, work in medicine and surgery for, for fun. And so really that really started our journey back in 2004-ish, started practice in 2003. And uh, very shortly thereafter, kind of looked at opportunities to be able to leverage our professional earnings so that we could um, practice our 
uh, our, our educated craft for for fun and enjoyment and for the passion of what drove us into you know medicine to begin with. So that really kind of started my journey, and you know one step led to another. I got a found mentors along the way and and uh, talked to a lot of people that an MBA in entrepreneurship along the way and just start off small like a lot of other your listeners and um, your podcast uh, guests uh, learn from uh, learn from each deal and uh, made mistakes along the way made plenty of mistakes and uh, yep, but pick do. myself up and uh, learn from those and and uh, really kind of been I've been very very fortunate to have a team of people around me who helped support and guide and mentor me and, um, you know, just kind of really completed another round of uh, real estate school, just like medical school and residency and training. And, mm. you know, you don't start off, uh, you know, with doing large deals, you start off with learning about the the medical terminology and then finding yep. professors who help you and uh, get furthering your education. And then just, you know, one step leads to another. And, you know, 17, 18 years later, we're um, you know, our passion is really to kind of pay that forward. We've been very lucky and very fortunate. We've worked hard and uh, at a point yep. now where we are, uh, you know, able to practice surgery and uh, ENT surgery for, for, the, for the joy of practicing ENT surgery. And we want to, you know, pay that forward to other professionals so that they can, um, you know, do this for fun and, and help their patients in a more compassionate fashion. Love it, man. I love it. I love the purpose uh, of it too. And you know, you're doing it to kind of create some of that freedom so you can do what you're passionate about, which is still being a doctor, right? Still helping people out. Um, and you're trying to create that same type of freedom so other people can do the same thing. Not so you can, you know, quit your job and um, go live on a beach and, you know, Tahiti or something like that, which maybe you'll do in the future. But that's not the passion. That's not the reason for it right now. And so I, I love kind of the, the thought and the reasoning behind it. Um, so take, take me through kind of the, the earlier stages, maybe the first deal, the first couple deals, you know, what, what were you doing? How'd you get, how'd you really get connected and into the business and um, decide that, yeah, that this is, this is something that's going to stick. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I read a lot of the books and uh, listened to the podcasts were kind of rare and far between at that point. But a lot of the books, uh, you know, the, the Purple Book, the Purple Bible, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and thought, okay, well, you know, you can um, add to your asset bucket and that mm -hmm. asset bucket can help you generate passive income so that you can move from the cash flow quadrant, move from the left side to the right side. And then all of a sudden you win the game of cash flow when your passive income exceeds your monthly expenses. Guess what? Nothing else really matters at that point. So, yeah. um, that, so that was that was the that was the vision. Um, and then you thought about, well, how 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 can you do that in the most risk averse way? Because um, you know ENT surgery is has a lot a lot of risks. Okay, you got you got the brain on one side, you've got the eye, the brain fluid, smell centers you know, blood vessels, nerves, just all kinds. We're, we're operating in, in a series of landmines. You know, this area is just, you know, high dollar real estate, okay? And so you've got to be risk averse in everything you do. So that was part of my DNA as training as a ENT head and neck surgeon is that you've got to be very risk averse and you got to go from one known landmark to another landmark. And that's essentially what we did. I spent some time learning about real estate, um, for a couple of years, really, before we actually even executed on one deal. 
And that may have been overboard. I didn't have the same educational resources that we have now. This was 17, 18 years ago. And but uh, really kind of learn the basics, just like the first couple of years of medical school where you, you know, you read about the basic science and then the, the last half of medical school, you go in and you work with other professors uh, who kind of guide you. And I did the same thing. I found some mentors. Um, you know, one of the things that really helped me was, uh, was humility. Um, you know, when I went to real estate guys and gals, some of which were my patients, and here I was their, you know, ENT surgeon, uh, but I, one of the things I found was that if you're humble and you go and not with a big head, like, Hey, I'm like, not like Alec Baldwin and, you know, in malice where he was like, I am God as a surgeon, you go in there as a very humble, like, Hey, you, I may know surgery, but you know, a lot more about real estate than I have ever thought of. And so can you, can you teach me and can you guide me through this process? So I would spend time, you know, after work and, uh, on the weekends, following guys and gals who did real estate full-time to see how they did things. So it was kind of like my second half of medical school is my second half of real estate school and uh, just learned from them about, you know, how to get started. So it really just started with a single family home, single family town home and uh, ran into the simple problem that a lot of people <laughs> on your show have probably figured out that very hard to skip, especially back then. I know there are some people who are scaling single family now, but back then, single scaling single family uh, was very, very challenging. So, you know, made but, a little bit of money. And, and you're probably putting in a couple hours a week at yeah. at the office, I would imagine. Uh, yeah. At that point in my career, I was I was putting in more than a couple hours a week. <laughs> yeah. So to, to manage a single family rental portfolio, even if it's just a couple, at, yeah. at that, it's just got to be very challenging. Uh, absolutely was. So kind of quickly realized, well, listen, you, we need to leverage a team. So I, I read this book called Strength Finders. And the premise of that book, for those of you who haven't read it, is, is really about, you know, how really successful people get ahead is they don't always spend time focusing on what they don't know or what they can't do. They really yeah. focus their time on what they can do and what they're really good at and find a team around them with yeah. shared values and purpose, but complementary skill sets. And so that's what I was really out to do was to find a team around me that could help. And obviously it's much easier to scale in commercial. So um, as we you know, kind of started in, you know, very basic stuff like uh, triple net leases, you know, single tenant triple net stuff, generate a little bit of cash flow that wasn't really super time intensive. Um, along the way, you know, again, I was fortunate enough to have some mentors along the way that were working on some development projects and senior care. Um, and so got, got a chance to kind of get involved with that. And then I uh, quickly kind of realized that, hey, there's a bunch of us as physicians that can band together and uh, create our own real estate opportunities, right? So why, why not we do our own owner-occupied stuff? So we built a, a, a surgical hospital um, and uh, we owned, we had an operating entity and a real estate entity. And so we got people involved on both, both sides of that fence. Um, and then in our, in our primary practice, we kind of was talked to my partners about building our own office. And initially there was a lot of hesitation because they're like, you know, we're doctors. We don't know about this stuff. And I'm like, just trust me, guys. I've done this before. Here, here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. Here's my, here's my, uh, here's my, I, I baited this on myself. Okay. I, I, I took all the risk and, and went to the school of hard knocks on my own capital. Yeah. And now we can do this collectively with all of our capitals and we can share in the benefits of this. 
and it's de-risked because I've already made all of the mistakes, you know? And so yeah. um, it- Trust it me, took, guys, just give me your money. Trust me, trust me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It took several acts of Congress. And, and, but what finally did it, I said, listen, guys, I made my partners a guarantee. I said, listen, if we build this office and any of you guys want out, I will give you, I will buy your share, okay? Mm. At, uh, at the price that you put in so you can't lose money. Because ultimately, then they realized, man, this guy really has skin in the game. Yeah, and he's ready. They, they, people finally realized that, hey, listen, this is a golden opportunity because, uh, you know, when you, one of the largest risks in commercial real estate is, is who's your tenant base? Yeah. And if your tenant base is yourself, I mean, why not bet on yourself, but, right? Yeah, right? What better right. bet is there than to bet on yourself? And so that started a series of medical offices that we built. Um, so we built one and my partners were like, oh my God, this actually, this actually does work out the way that you said it would work out. And so we built another, we built another. We so were you building the, the others? Or are you building for other practices or is it? No, just our own practice. We're just in the big your room. Own. Yeah, we're, we're uh, 14 doctors. So, um, okay. so offices all over, all over town. Yep. Okay. So basically as leases expired, we were like, okay, you know, two, three years before a lease expired, we gotcha. Would, we would uh, acquire the land, find a development company and, and, and then build. build. Yeah. And then build. And that, and then, that would be then your new lease. That yeah. makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Uh, you are the second person in probably two weeks I've talked to about a, a similar strategy. Maybe, maybe you guys are uh, partners on, on some deals. I don't know, but uh, it sounds so I mean, just, it's just a great way to do it. You, you're owning. Well, the I, I've talked to a lot of surgeons and doctors about this all across the country. So maybe they, maybe they, maybe we did Pro talk. <laughs> probably other people doing it, uh, yeah. you know, potentially because of, of what you've started, because it's, I mean, it, what a great, what a great idea. You, you, you already have the practice. Why not own the real estate? Why not control that? Right. Um, and be able to capitalize on that opportunity as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's turned into another income stream, uh, not just right now during our working age, but also it turns into uh, another retirement vehicle, essentially, that creates uh, income that supplements your, you know, your 401k when you want to when you want to call it quits. So how does that how does that work? Explain that process. You you want to call it quits. You want to get out. You own the building or at least a portion of the building. Do you sell then that portion potentially to somebody who's kind of stepping into the practice or how is that? Yeah. 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 I mean, our goal was to try to align, um, align interest as much as possible. So even though we had an operating entity and a real estate entity, um, we studied a lot of models that failed. And one of the main reasons that stuff failed is because the, um, the, the ownership group on the operating entity didn't match the ownership on the real estate entity. And so then you have a higher propensity mm. of having hard feelings mm. because all of your incentives are not aligned. Yeah. And so uh, we tried to structure this and we have structured this to, a, we want all of our junior physicians as they be initially become employees, but as, as they become partners in our professional practice, we're strongly encouraging them and giving them a significant discount off of market value to join the real estate entity, uh, partly because, you know, we want to make it easier, we want to lower that barrier to entry. It's not open to 
outside people, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a benefit, it's a fringe benefit of partnership. So we use that as an attraction, um, uh, as, a, as, a, as a tool, a recruitment tool, because it's really hard to recruit doctors these days. And we wanna, we wanna provide ancillary revenue streams within our ecosystem uh, through, through real estate. Um, and so the goal is to stay into this uh, while you're in practice and then once you retire, um, we've got some carve outs so that you, you're not immediately withdrawn, but kind of gradually withdrawn at, um, you know, the way the operating agreement structured is, is essentially the theme of it is that you get out over a period of time at a time when the existing partners have enough cash flow to buy you out. So um, the goal is to buy you out sense. on retirement, but it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. It happens. We, we, we can we, we have some flexibility to be able to time that at a time that is you know beneficial to all parties. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so, and are you guys uh, pooling money or partnering together on other real estate opportunities, or is it uh, these these offices buildings uh, that you're also occupying? Yeah, I mean, we 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 pretty much built all of our offices now, so that's that's a kind of a unless we really were to expand and hire a whole bunch more doctors, we're pretty we're pretty tapped out on that, but. Um, but what we are scaling right now is doing a lot of multifamily. Um, so multifamily being the most, you know, demographically oriented uh, asset class within, within CRE and, and, and one that you can really kind of study and you, you can base a lot of the performance of that based upon demographics, especially we're in that kind of that B to A minus grade, uh, in high growth markets, which I know a lot of people are chasing, but a lot of people are chasing that because of. Uh, because of the strong demographics. There's a reason why a lot of people are, yeah, there's a reason why people are investing in Dallas and Atlanta yeah, and Charlotte um, and Austin, Texas, and those kinds of areas, which is where we're investing. But, you know, we, we take a very conservative approach. We're not overly leveraged. We're not doing heavy, heavy, heavy lifting with value add stuff, but, um, you know, late nineties to, you know, 2010, 15, 2010 to 15 kind of range, uh, build um, larger scale apartments that, you know, 200 unit plus uh, in that B to A minus grade. That's, you know, where institutional capital is starting to get into as well. But, you know, we, we feel like our model has been successful for over 15 years and does well in good times and bad times. We're not overly levered. We use a lot of fixed rate debt. We don't do a lot of bridge debt. Um, you know, good, solid, stable principles that do well in good times and bad times as well. And we don't, you know, we're, we're still, we're still standing, you know, in seven and eight and the European debt crisis and the pandemic. And, and even now, despite all the changes that's yeah. uh, happened in the economy recently. Speaking of the changes. So you've, you've been around for a while, 15, 15 years in uh, multifamily and what'd you say? 17. Um, yeah. Overall. yeah. Um, so speaking of changes, like, Everybody, it's on everybody's mind. Uh, I think even by the time this comes out, it'll still be on everybody's mind it, yeah, it's been yeah. for a while. So what, what are you guys doing right now? Is it, is it pencils down? Are you looking for opportunity? Are you excited about what's coming? Like what, what's the thought right now? And what are you guys, what are you guys looking forward to? What are you guys uh, avoiding, you know, that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing that is moving in our favor is that there's still a lot of demographic tailwinds. Um, that are supporting the multifamily industry, and especially in, in the asset class in the grade that we're looking at. Um, 
you know, the, not the new high sexy stuff, the brand new things that people could maybe move in from home, home ownership to, uh, to the A plus and not the C grade where there's a lot of, they're a lot more uh, sensitive to the economic cycles, right? In terms of, you know, collections and so forth. But in that middle grade where, you know, people can rent, people can buy, but generally there's a, there's a psychographic preference towards rentership. So we're trying to take advantage of that in high growth markets that have diversified economies. Um, so that on, on the supply demand uh, front, there's still an imbalance, you know, as you as you're well aware, Todd, I mean, there was no construction during during the Great Recession and a few years after that. So we still haven't caught up to that. So um, and with the amount of household formation and in all real estate's local, but on a macro level, there's still a housing shortage, which mm -hmm. is even more acute in the uh, high growth markets where there's, you know, positive net domestic migration. So, um, so we still feel good about that. Now, in terms of challenges, I mean, I think obviously the cost of debt um, has, has, <laughs> has gone up significantly, right? So yeah, three, but, three percent to 6% is a, a bit yeah, of a change. In a exactly. And so, you know, uh, we're, our model is that we're not overly levered. So yeah. we don't take on the 75% debt LTVs. We're in the 50 to 60% range. So, um, you know, we, of course we sacrifice a little bit of yield that way, but we insulate ourselves. Um, and so we've tempered expectations for our investors and ourselves that, you know, Hey, you know, we're not going to see 25% rent growth. It's just not sustainable, yeah. but in the markets that we're looking at in the, in the, in the sub markets we're looking at, we're, we're, we're still able to be well under that. Um, you know, we're still in that, in that 20% range in terms of, um, you know, rent to income uh, range. So we feel like there's still some room for growth that we can take advantage of the supply demand imbalance and still not get into a major affordability problem. Um, so on the revenue side, and then on the expense side, you know, a large part of our expenses, I mean, is debt. And so we've carried fixed rate debt with, with rate caps that we're taking advantage of, and it's going to be harder to pencil out future debt. But, uh, you know, yeah. we've been fortunate, we've been fortunate to be able to find people want to lend to people who are who've got a good balance sheet and so we've leveraged the strength of our gp team to 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 really get some favorable terms um and um they they understand our conservative underwriting and and that we're not swinging for the fences and you know we're not aiming for the investors that are trying to get you know 25 30 percent irrs i mean we'll do that in a bull market but you know um you know, you've heard the adage, right? But when the tide recedes, you get to see who's naked, and and we want to we want to have our bathing suits on for sure. So uh, we're pretty conservative in the way we underwrite. Yeah are you are you um, are you selling your assets? Is it is it the typical five year hold, or are you guys more long term? Uh, we're more long term hold. Uh, we did sell an asset recently in San Antonio because we got an outsized offer that yeah. was too good to be true. That we were basically um, getting returns for ourselves and our investors that was, you know, two, three years into the future. And so we're yeah. like, okay, it would be our, it's our fiduciary responsibility to sell, to sell. Um, yeah. but we're, we're, we are, we're in a fund product. That's a seven to 10 year hold. So we might recycle some of that capital within that fund cycle strategically. And if we can harvest some equity and increase our yield. We'll do that. But uh, again, we're not flippers. We're not, we're trying to ride long-term demographic trends and then, at the end of the fund cycle, if we've got a really high performing asset that a lot of people want to stay into, um, you know, we can just transition that in from a fund environment to a single asset uh, yep. environment as well. So. Love it. Love it. 
Vasu, what's a, what's a mistake that you've made and how have you learned from it? I think the, the, the biggest mistake that I made initially was trying to do too much on my own and mm. not sharing um, the vision and the passion and finding yeah. people around you to help because real estate, as you know, is a team sport. And initially I was trying to do everything myself and it was just like, oh my God, it's too much, you know, then uh, I, I basically was stretching myself thin. I was causing myself a lot of stress. And then, yeah. you know, quite frankly, I can't be good at every aspect of real estate and you can't, I can't, nobody can. And so the, the really, really successful, but then I started, you know, I, I'm a big, I'm a big student of, of success stories. Like I, 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 one of my passions is to be able to tease out success patterns um, as our mutual friend, Trevor McGregor says, you know, success leaves, leaves clues. Right. And so even before I started working with Trevor, I was like, okay, I, I understood that concept. And I was like, okay, well, you know, other people have walked in my shoes before, you know, uh, I don't need to, I don't need to reinvent the wheel completely. It's, I can learn from my mistakes, but I can also learn from other people's mistakes. And so, uh, I think it's, um, I probably had the more do it yourself kind of attitude earlier on in my career. And it ended up stretching me thin and causing me stress and, and making some wrong assumptions because I was quite frankly, not as, um, as proficient at certain areas, uh, than I, that I, than I wanted to be. So, um, yeah, so I think that's one of the big things I made a mistake of when I was early on in my career. Yeah, I hear you there. I, I think I constantly make that mistake still even <laughs> to this day, you know, it's yeah. like you just try to do too much on your own. You think you can do it all. Um, I, I have slowly as I've aged uh, realized that that's that's a mistake, but I still seem to make that mistake continuously and go, yeah should I have, I should have probably given that to somebody else. Like that's not my passion or that's not what I'm good at. Yeah. Maybe I should have handed that off. Yeah. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey, Todd. It's a it, journey. Is. <laughs> it is. I love it. Um, what, what's, what are some daily habits? I mean, you're look, you're, you gotta be a busy guy. Uh, you are still practicing medicine. You are running a real estate company. Uh, you're talking with investors, you're, you you got a lot going on. So what are some daily habits that help you kind of juggle through all of that and, and still, you know, go home at night and um, not be completely exhausted, just fall asleep on the couch? Or maybe that's what you do. Well, I, I try not to. I, I've, I've always been one, Todd, to respect my sleep. And yeah. so um, even in medical school or like if I, you know, I, I made sure I got at least seven hours of sleep, seven to eight hours, preferably eight. Um, like, you know, a lot of people were cramming for tests and I was like, not that I was maybe more prepared or less prepared than anybody else, but I was like, listen, if, if, if I'm, if I didn't, if I didn't know it at 11 o'clock at night, I'm not going to know it at two o'clock in the morning. So I was just going to go to sleep. So yeah. And you'll uh, probably, you'll probably do better at the test if you get some yeah. sleep versus the guy that shows up or gal that shows up and they're just completely yeah. out of it because they stayed up never went to bed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But part of that daily routine starts the night before, I guess that's where I was trying to get to. It's yeah. like you know, making sure that you're getting to bed at a reasonable time. And one of the things I've started practicing in the last probably six months or so is a, uh, is a gratitude journal um, where I write down three things that I was grateful for that happened that day, uh, small or big or whatever. And it may be as simple as AI, uh, I, 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 I watched my kid play tennis and it, it was really entertaining or, or I had a really nice meal or it doesn't have to be anything about business. It doesn't have to be anything about anything big. 
And, but I also write down three things that I'm going to focus, I'm going to be focused on doing the next day. So it kind of gears me to, um, gears me towards kind of getting prepared for the next day. Um, so yeah, waking up, I, I, I meditate in the morning, uh, before I, and then I go to the gym, I do some kind of physical activity, uh, after meditation, drink a lot of water, um, and then start my day. So that usually gets me, um, again, it's not, it's not a perfect world. I, I don't get a chance to do all that stuff every single day, but I, I, I try to get, you know, the vast majority of the days, uh, where I accomplish those things. And so between meditation, good sleep, uh, gratitude journal and exercise that at least lays the foundation for me to have my, the best chance of having the best, uh, a good day. Yeah. And th those are really, I would say mine as well. Um, I guess uh, replace meditation for me with prayer, but um, the very same thing. And as same thing, you don't do it every day. Uh, sometimes you miss out on it, but it, the more you can do it, it just feels, it just feels good. It feels uh, it, for me, it, and I'm sure for you, it just makes it feel like you're ready to go on the day. Um, yeah. And if you, as you miss them, the more you miss them, they're just like, Oh man, I just, you just feel like you're missing out. And, and I feel way more productive uh, when you do those habits. I think habits just help create productivity overall in general. And it, Absolutely. it doesn't yeah. have to be that you do the same thing as, as me or the same thing as Basu is like, you just have to have habits. If you have those certain habits, you're probably going to be a lot more productive in the end. Yeah. <clears throat> so I love telling crazy stories, fun stories, weird things that have happened um, in your real estate journey, or maybe just your medical journey. Um, of course, you probably can't, you know, disclose some, some stuff with your medical journey, but I just love telling you know, stories. It's Halloween uh, in a couple of days. And then when this will come out, it'll be well after Halloween. But in the Halloween spirit, I, I just want like a, a horror story or like a just a crazy story that's happened along your journey. Yeah. Um, I'll share with I'm you. I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't, I didn't tell you this. No, was coming. no, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm just jogging my memory. I, I, yeah. I think I um, I think I've got one that maybe might, uh, might resonate with everyone. So, um, as you know, kind of ENT surgery is very complex kind of things where you spend a lot of time learning the anatomy and then practicing with a professor next to you. And, and then finally you go on your own and you go out and practice. And so I was, uh, I started, I started, I joined a guy in a small town outside of Louisville, just on the other side of the Ohio river in New Albany, small, small town. And my, uh, my chairman at, uh, in residency, Dr. O'Malley, a real nice guy, you know, my strong mentor during training. And he said to me, he said, Vasu, you know, make sure that whatever happens to you in the first year or two, when you're in this, when you're in practice, you want to make sure that nothing bad happens to any of your patients, because the community is going to feel like if something bad happens to you at the beginning, that you did something wrong. Whereas, down the road, once you've established your reputation and something bad happens, people, people will say, oh, well, you know, sometimes bad things happen in surgery and medicine. People mm -hmm. know the risks. And yeah. so you're, you're a lot more insulated. So with that backdrop, you know, a month or two into trainings, the fall of 2003, when my partners uh, had a head and neck cancer patient that uh, he said, uh, Vasu, can you mind just uh, doing a quick little biopsy in his, in his larynx or his voice box? I'm concerned he might have recurrent cancer. This is an older guy, 80 year old guy. 
And uh, so I said, I said, sure, my schedule was empty and his schedule was full. So um, in the pre-op area, the wife uh, gives me a big, big hug. And she says, Dr. K, just don't let him die. Don't let him die. Those, those, are, those were her uh, words to me. And so I get ready to go to the operating room. And um, before I even got the chance to start the surgery, the anesthesiologist who, who gives them the anesthesia is trying to, trying to put a breathing tube in this patient's throat. And I look around, I was like, hmm, this doesn't look good. I can hear the, the heart monitor going, you know, beep, beep, beep. And I was like, beep, beep, beep. I turn around and the guy is basically blue. Okay. Oh, wow. We haven't even started the surgery yet. <laughs> the wife just gave me a hug. Said, Don't let him <laughs> die. I haven't even done anything yet. And the guy is blue. So we're airway doctors. Okay. As ear, nose and throat doctors. And so we re- were the experts in the airway. And so essentially the anesthesiologist couldn't get a breathing tube in. He lost his airway. He was not having any oxygen, not getting any oxygen to his brain, to his heart. He turned blue because his heart wasn't pumping anymore. Yeah. And so essentially I tried, I couldn't get the breathing tube in. So the last resort is to make a hole in the neck. Okay. And you got to get an airway in quickly. Like you don't, you can't go and yeah, read you- it and figure out how to do this. You got to do this now. Otherwise this guy's going to die. He's as blue as the sky. Okay. And so I'm yelling for a knife and blah, 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 and all this other craziness is going on, all these crazy thoughts in my head. But when push came to shove, I was able to get the breathing tube in, make an incision in his knife. And somehow through the fact that I was able to do that, and I got lucky that this guy had enough reserve because sometimes you do all that and the guy can still die because sometimes bad stuff happens. But Somebody was looking after me. You mentioned prayer earlier. I don't know if uh, some angel was looking after me, but as soon as we started getting oxygen into his lungs again, he pinked back up. He survived. He, he oh, lived. Man. Okay. Uh, so that, that guy was just happy and blessed that he had you uh, there as, as a doctor. The, the, <laughs> the take-home lesson in that, because I'll, I'll share with you another, one of my vulnerabilities is I've suffered from imposter syndrome for so long. Like I thought mm. everything that's happened to me is like, I'm not good enough. I like, I just, whatever good happened to me was through luck and mm. not through my own training and my, my own uh, uh, hard work and everything else. But that was like one of the major tipping points in my life because it, it taught me that, listen, I went through all this training, college, medical school, five years of surgical training. And when push came to shove, I was able to perform and do what I needed to do when no one else in that room was mm. capable of doing that. And we saved this guy's life. And it, it really started my process, my journey towards knowing that, hey, if you put in the work and the effort and the time and the expertise, you can do great things. And so whether it's medicine or surgery or real estate, you put in the time and the effort, you can do great things, but you can't do it without putting the time and the effort and getting trained and, and uh, making a few mistakes along the way. Yeah. So, so true. Such wise words. I mean, if you put in the time, if you put in the effort, if you, if you make those mistakes and learn from them, right. And, and just continue to push and surround yourself with good people, then you can become the expert. Then, then, then you can have the success and, and it's not just luck, right. It, it truly, truly is because of what you've put in. So that's, that's so cool. Um, okay. A couple last questions. Uh, what, what is a favorite book um, maybe that you've read recently or that you're currently reading? What's a favorite book you could pass down to our listeners? 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. So I'll give you two because I've read both of them. Um, but uh, Who Not How, um, yep. you know, I don't know if you've read that book, but it's a, basically we talked a little bit about doing everything yourself. And um, that book kind of crystallized, hey, you know, when you're confronted with an issue, you know, the first question maybe you should ask is who can help me with this rather than how can I do this myself? Yep. Um, yep. And then the second book is The Gap in the Game um, that was published after that. And uh, just for your listeners who may not have read that, it's it, it's basically, you know, if you can kind of you know, start with start with uh, reminiscing about where you are now relative to where you were X time in the past and focus on that. And that's that's been your gain. Um, you're more likely to achieve the gap is where you want to be and where you are right now. But if you focus on the gap, it makes it much harder to to get there. And so mm. part of the um, no. um, I want to credit Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan for part of my nightly ritual of doing the gratitude journal and three things I'm looking forward to the next day. Um, I started doing that after reading that book because it made a lot of sense Love to me. It. Love it. Um, all right. Last question before a wrap. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? So I think one of the key things is humility um, to know um, to know what you don't know and, and to, and which is a big issue in the medical community because we're, we're kind of trained as surgeons to be macho and yeah. like, we know everything we're, we, we flex our muscle. We want to show our chest hair and well, you're the smartest people. ones in the room, or at least <laughs> yeah. you've got yeah. the most amount of school, you know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think humility is, is super important. Um, I think commitment to a, a lifelong learning, so in other words, you know, there's always something new that you can learn. And if you think the learning stops at school, you probably shouldn't uh, be a, a, a more active investor because you've got to constantly be learning. Um, and then lastly, I think is, you know, the mentorship and, and finding, finding people and building a team around you that can help complement because um, you, you can't do everything about wealth management by yourself. Um, you need a, you need a team of people around you and you, you want to be maybe the architect of your wealth plan, but, um, you, you need, you need people around you to help support you. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true, man. Uh, look, this has been great. Uh, love the stories, love, love the journey. Uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about what you going on, got going on and, uh, reach out. Yeah, yeah, certainly through uh, LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn, uh, Vasu Karkalapudi, MD, or, or I think learn a little bit more about our mission or our passion at uh, www.aptoproperties/webinar. Uh, and there's a, a good link to a, a piece I've recorded, kind of explains kind of you know what we do and how we do it. And happy to reach out through LinkedIn as well, or uh, they can email me as well. Basu, appreciate your uh, humility and just just the overall just willingness to uh, uh, just be genuine and be providing us with some great value here. And uh, just, again, really appreciate the time you've spent with us. And it's been a lot of fun. So yeah. uh, with that, man, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. thank you for all you do to support uh, the mission of, uh, uh, of the pillars of wisdom, our pillars of wealth to, to the community around us. Love it. Love it. Have a good day. Thanks.
Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.